1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And that's as far as we're going to get tonight. We will finish chapter 2. When we come back in two weeks, we will begin chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now, as you know, because of this persecution and the attacks by the Jews, Paul and his companions had to leave Thessalonica and Berea. And that's what he's talking to them about. He said, we were torn away from you for a short time. And so they go with me back to Acts 17. Instead of me explaining it to you, let me just kind of have you read it again. We'll kind of get a refresher from our introduction. Go to Acts 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Kind of recap and remind you of how Paul met the Thessalonians. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now when they, this is Paul and his traveling companions, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. In other words, he's telling these Jews, He is the Messiah, the promised one in the Scriptures. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. We're going to come back to that later on tonight about them taking money as security from Jason and the rest. We'll deal with that later. So keep that in your mind. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, now many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul, on his missionary journey, goes into Thessalonica. He's there with Silas and Timothy, and he's sharing the gospel in, in the synagogue. And a lot of people do believe, but the Jews there are really upset about it. Because, you know, if people start following Jesus, what's going to happen to them and their power and their authority and their synagogue and all their way of life? And they decide they're going to go get some of the ruffians from town, some of the rabble, as the scripture said, and they get a mob and they went to go chase Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they went to Jason, chase them out of Thessalonica. They go to Jason's house where they were staying, and they couldn't find them. So they grab Jason and these guys, and they bring them before the magistrates. Listen to what the Jews are saying. The Jews are saying, these guys are against the decrees of Caesar. They're saying there's some other king, not Caesar. Weren't the Jews supposed to say that there's only one God? There's only one king, one Lord of Lords? But they, at this point, were so away from God, even though they claimed to be followers of God, they were actually using Caesar as their God to get what they wanted done, done. And they made Jason and some of the others give some money as security. Again, we'll come back to that in a little bit. So they go to Berea. While they're there, some of the Jews from Thessalonica go to Berea and chase them out of there. They end up in Athens. By the way, we've already looked at this. They're just doing the same thing Paul was doing until he got saved. But Paul says, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, verse 17. 
He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart. In other words, we were personally removed from you, but you weren't removed from our hearts. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, we're going to stop there and kind of pull a few things out. Paul said we wanted to come see you even after we were torn away, but Satan hindered us. Well, how did Satan hinder them from coming back? There's a lot we're going to look at. Before we answer the question fully, I've got to help you walk through a little bit of a deep study about the work of Satan so that you can understand how you can recognize his work and his hand work, handiwork and know how to resist him. All right. So first and foremost, Satan is always on the prowl looking to slow the work of God. Does Satan think he can stop it? He knows. The demons even, when Jesus was on the scene, said, have you come to throw this to the, in the abyss before the appointed time? But as evil as he is, he still knows, even though he knows that his time is short when he comes down to the earth in the midpoint of the tribulation, he knows how it's all going to play out. He still is trying to hinder the work of God. Go to 1 Peter 5. This is very important for us that we have this passage in our hearts because it's going to help us understand something in the book of Job in just a second. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 and following. He says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Satan is going throughout the earth looking for what? People to devour. He's wanting to do work against God's work, and he's trying to hinder the work of God. Now, let me add something else to this. Satan's always on the prowl looking to hinder the work of God, looking for people to devour. And don't miss this. He still only is allowed to do whatever God tells him he can and can't do. He's on a leash. Satan doesn't have full authority to do whatever he wants. He actually is under authority. All authority has been given to who? To Jesus, after he died and rose from the dead, Jesus himself said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Yet we don't see, even though everything's been subjected to Jesus, do we see everything in full subjection to Jesus? Not really in one sense, because Satan's been allowed for a season to still be around. Could God have put him into the abyss already? Oh, yeah. Yes. But he's left him to be able to do some things for a season for God's purposes. Satan has his purposes, but God has his. And don't miss this. Whenever Satan is allowed to do anything, he's allowed to do it. He doesn't do it on his own power and authority. He does it because God let him. In the book of Job, the Bible says in chapter 1 that the angels all appear before God and Satan came with them. You know why Satan came with them? Because he's a created being as well. He's an angel as well that has kind of lost his position. But he had to show up as well. He's going to be there for inspection. And God says to Satan, what have you been up to? Now, does God not know what Satan's been up to? Of course he does. But you know what God's doing? He's jerking his chain. <laughs> Satan can't say to God, none your business. So what is Satan's answer? If you go back and look at Job chapter 1, he says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. Oh, by the way, we just saw in 1 Peter 5, when he's going to and fro throughout the earth, what's he looking for? Someone to devour. If you go back and double check me in Job chapter 1, God says to Satan, after he says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth, God says, oh, you looking for someone to devour? How about Job? Did you notice how God points out Job? Satan says, well, yeah, actually, I have seen him. And the only reason he's as righteous and worshiping of you the way he is is because you've got this hedge of protection around him and I can't touch him. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll remove the hedge to a certain point. You can't touch him, but you can do whatever else you want. And of course, he kills his family. He takes all of his possessions. But he only did what he was allowed to the limit. Of course, we get back to chapter 2. 
The angels appear before God. Satan comes. God says, what you been up to? To and fro throughout the earth. Did you notice Job? Yeah, I saw how he responded. The only reason he responded that way is because you wouldn't let me touch him. You let me touch him and he'll curse you to your face. Of course, God says, I'll tell you what, all right, I will release some of the protection. You can't kill him. And he gives him boils and sores that are such that he's just in severe pain. And his wife comes and says, curse God and die. Who's talking through his wife right now? Satan. But again, don't miss this. Satan's always on the prowl, but he can't do whatever he wants. He's only able to do what he's allowed to do. God controls the kingdom of men. Folks, let's just, people want to say, everybody's trying to talk about what happened in Israel and everything. Well, how could Israel with their great spy network and all their knowledge and how come they didn't know? You know why? Because God controls what's really being allowed to be done and what's to be seen and not seen. And God is doing something right now. Do we know fully what it is? No. You don't usually understand God's full purposes until way later. But Satan is always on the prowl, but he's only able to do what he's allowed to do. Oh, and ultimately he won't win. God's plan will be accomplished. We know the end of the story. The kingdom of this world will become who? It'll become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he's going to reign forever and ever. And that Satan will be at one time cast into the lake of fire. Oh, he'll be thrown into the abyss, into the pit for a thousand years, but he'll be released for a short time. And he's going to be out after that cast in the lake of fire forever and ever with all those who followed him. But ultimately, he will not win. Jesus told Peter when he was telling him, when Peter made his profession of faith in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But there's something else we need to understand. He's always lurking. And don't miss this. He will even make an appearance among and through not just unbelievers, but believers as well. I'm going to say this to you again. I'm going to show it to you scripturally. Satan will even show up in church. Again, if he shows up in church, who gave permission for him to show up in church? God did. Go with me to Matthew 16. We just quoted verse 18, where Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Peter, in verses 13 and following, has just said, you're the Christ. And God says, you're now Peter. You're the new rock man because of your faith. My father's opened your eyes. But look at Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me who? Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Even though it was Peter speaking, and Peter is a new creation at this point. Peter has made his profession of faith. Jesus said, you're no longer Simon. You are now Peter. And I'm going to build my church on what you just said. Right after that, Satan spoke through him to try to dissuade Jesus or hinder Jesus from going to the cross. I'm not going to have because of time read it. But if you go to Acts 5, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, you see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I believe the Bible teaches that they were actually real believers, Christians in the church. In the end of chapter 4, Barnabas had sold a piece of property and gave the whole amount to the church to use for whatever the needs were in the body. And Ananias and Sapphira realized they got a little that Barnabas got a little attention from that. So they decide, let's sell a piece of property. Let's keep some of the money, but then let's pretend like we gave the whole amount. And Peter says, why has Satan... Caused you to lie to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't easy to be a part of the church at that time. And the fact that he's saying you're lying to the Holy Spirit, I think they were lying to the Holy Spirit within them. And he even says, look, wasn't this yours to do with when he sold it, whatever you wanted? And after you sold, wasn't the money yours to do whatever? You Why did you decide to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan caused you to do this? Folks, listen to me. Sometimes, because Satan is out there trying to hinder the work of God, he may even use people in the church. And I'm going to say something that you might not like. He might even use you. We have to be careful. We all are susceptible. If Peter is susceptible, we're all susceptible. You know why? Because sometimes our first reaction is not spiritual, is it? 
That's why we have to learn how to walk in the spirit. That's why we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, because we have not just Jesus living within us, but we also have powers, not just Satan, but his demons and his minions. We have spiritual warfare going on and the spiritual realm would love to use you and I as well. God will even allow Satan to do his work for God's greater purposes. Let me show you something that you may not like to see. Go to Revelation 2. Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 8 through 11. And to the angel, Jesus is speaking, he says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Here God says, you know what? Satan's going to come and he's going to cause some of you to suffer and some of you are going to die. Satan's going to have you put to death. Wait a minute, Jim, you said ultimately God's going to win. Yes, you didn't hear what I said. Ultimately, God's going to win. But listen, if Satan kills you as a believer, does he win? You win. You win. Because honestly, for those of us who are in Christ, who are groaning and longing to be clothed with our heavenly body, those of us who know the Lord, we desire to depart and go be with Christ. But if he wants us to stay here, because God's in charge of that, not us, it means more fruitful labor. We'll look at that in a little bit tonight. But ultimately, as, Peter, as Paul said, if I die, that's the best. I get to go be with Christ, which is better by far. Folks, I want to encourage you. If you're... Past that point of fearing death, Satan has nothing on you. Satan has nothing on you. But God says, I got a purpose and I'm going to allow him to kill some of you. In Luke 22, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but in Luke 22, 31 through 34, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, Satan is asked to sift you all as wheat, all of y'all. He wants to sift you as wheat. What that means is this. When you took the grain of wheat, you'd put the grains in your hand and you would do this and you'd break the chaff from the actual wheat grain and you blow the chaff away and what stays is the weight, the, the actual wheat grain because it's heavier. And Satan wants to prove that you're chaff. He's going to put you through the test and he's going to show that you're not for real. Ah, but then Jesus says, but I prayed for you. So I summon your Bibles at a third Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you all his wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. In other words, when you fail this test and Satan wins in your life for a little while, my prayer is that you don't quit. Peter says, actually, you don't know me real well. I'm, not, I'm willing to go to prison and death. Don't know about the rest of these bums, but I love you the most. And Jesus says, actually, I know better than you do what's really going to happen before the rooster crows tonight. You're going to deny you know me three times. By the way, who won in Peter's life? Satan for a season. But ultimately, God won and Peter will. Because actually, God allowed Satan to humble Peter so that Peter could be used greater down the road. Folks, keep this in mind. I don't know about you, but I know about you because you're as messed up as me. Satan's won in your life a few times, has he not? But ultimately, he's not going to win if you learn how to submit yourself, therefore, to God. Peter said, Satan hindered us. But he wasn't acting like, man, we don't have no power. No, his eyes are on the fact that God's in control. And I'm going to show you some more about that in just a second. There's something cool that God's going to kind of hopefully bring out for us tonight. But... Please remember that he and his minions are always around, even in our churches, in order to hinder the work of God. Let, let me just show you uh, one more passage. Go to Ephesians 6. You can look later on at Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, and you'll notice that as he writes to some of these churches that are dealing with some false theology, he talks about how Satan has come in and deceived them in their churches. But in Ephesians chapter 6, listen to verses 10 through 20. Again, writing to believers, 
He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep a alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. By the way, doesn't that sound like a fun life? Beware of the preachers that will tell you, hey, you can have your best life now and you can you, you can just you get saved and, and everything's going to be glorious. No, the Bible says that you're in a war. You have passed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the light of his glorious son. But in the meantime, just like Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, just like Jesus went from his baptism where the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were all there testifying to who Jesus was in that glorious moment. And he was led of the Spirit immediately into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. Who led him into the wilderness to be tempted and tested? The Father. And God has, could God save us and then just take us to be in heaven? Yes. Could he make it so that we don't longer struggle with these bodies of flesh? Yes, he could. But he has, for his reasons and his purposes, allowed not only Satan to continue for a season in the role that he has, but he's also allowed us who have been born again, made new, made alive in the spirit. We're new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're still walking around in these bodies of flesh, still under the curse. Paul said in Romans 7, I find it to be a law. I mean, it's like a law of nature that in my inner man, I want to do the will of God. But right there, my flesh is in the huddle with me. And it's fighting me all the time. I, I think you all understand what I'm talking about. And that's why daily and throughout the day, we need to learn how to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to whatever God's plan and purpose is, walk in obedience to his word, recognize that we're in a battle. Don't realize, don't lose sight of the fact that there is always opportunity for Satan to attack if God allows, and he'll even use you and I sometimes to try to hinder the work of God, which makes me want to be a little bit less quick to talk. I got to be honest with you, over the years, as people would come up and ask me questions, I'm always quick to give an answer, but I'm getting a little slower now. You know why? Because some of the answers that I've given that were quick, I realized afterwards as I drove home, Lord, you didn't want me to say that, did you? Even though it was right, it wasn't time. And it was Jim speaking truth, but it wasn't Jim speaking truth via the Spirit in the timing of God. And I got to be careful myself. So Satan's Hey, Satan hindered Paul and them from going back because he's always trying to slow and stop the work of God. But there's another possibility, and we read about it in Acts 17. I think that Paul also may be referring to the specific hindrance that we just read about in Acts 17. Go back to Acts 17. Look at verses 5 through 9 again. Acts 17, verses 5 through 9. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Have you ever wondered what that was? What did, what did, what did it mean that they took money as security from them? 
maybe I'm going to help you understand it by flipping it a little bit. Y'all know what bail is, right? Bail is when someone gets put in jail, but their trial isn't going to happen for a while. So either they sit in jail until their trial comes, or they can be set free. But in order to be set free until the trial, a big sum of money has to be given that is security that they will show up for the trial, correct? And if they don't show up for the trial, they lose the money. Oh, and that doesn't mean that they just pay and they don't have to go to trial. There'll be bondsmen that go find you and drag you to trial. But you don't get the money back because you didn't keep your word. The, the, the bail, the security is to say, I promise I will show up for the trial. I think in this situation, it was like a reverse kind of a deal. Jason and them said, we promise Paul. I'm speculating here, but I think there's something to this. We give our word. Paul won't come back. And they made him give money to, as security that their word was true. Have you ever thought about it? That's about the only thing that makes sense to me. How would, how would they give money as security? So they probably said, we promise Paul won't come back. And here's some money. Paul being someone who understood that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Didn't want Jason to be seen as a liar or to lose his money. I don't think Paul cared about the money as much as the yes be yes and the no be no, so we look like Jesus. We keep our word. So what does he do? He sends Timothy back. You ever noticed, as we read today, the recount of that, Paul was listed and Silas was listed? But we know from Scripture that Timothy was also there. But Timothy was a little young guy at the time, wasn't probably that noticeable, Oh, listen to how awesome God is. Satan says, I'm going to make it so Paul can't get back to Thessalonica. God says, that's fine. i got a greater plan in mind. I'm going to use Paul to plant the seed and get things going. I'm going to use Timothy to go back and water it and to encourage. And it's actually going to help Timothy grow. Some of you know where I'm talking about in Acts 15. The Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, who had already been on a missionary journey together, uh, said, you know what, let's go back and visit some of the churches we visited in our first missionary journey. Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, uh-uh. John Mark was with us on that first journey. And when things got really tough, as it will, uh, he, he left. I, I don't want to bring him back. I don't think he's cut out for the ministry. I'm not even sure where he stands with the Lord. I'm just putting words in Paul's mouth here. But Paul and Barnabas had such a dispute about John Mark, they parted company. They no longer were Facebook friends. <laughs> and Paul took Silas and went on. And Barnabas took John Mark and went on. And by the way, Barnabas was right about John Mark. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Paul came to realize later on he was wrong about John Mark. At the end of his life, he said, get Mark and have him come visit me. He's helpful to me. But in that instance, did Satan win a little skirmish? Yes, he did. But you know what? What Satan meant for evil, God used for good because now there were two missionary teams. And God actually was increasing the number of those who were being trained in the ministry Folks, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. If you look at any of the churches or most of the churches in this area or anywhere around and you trace their history, even though the church is doing well, there probably was a split somewhere in the past. Satan wins little battles every now and then because we're human and we lit him. But God says, if I only used perfect people I couldn't get anything done with people. He can get stuff done without us. He don't need us. But if he was going to use people, he can't only use perfect people. And God has his greater purpose. Did Satan win in the battle with Joseph and his brothers? Yep. But did he win in the end in the war? No. God actually used his brothers beating him up and selling him as a slave to have him save the whole nation of Israel down the road. Again, I don't know. That's why I'm holding off on giving a full teaching on what's going on in Israel right now. I don't know what God's full plan is. Let's wait a little longer. Some things might be more clear in the next few days or weeks or months or whatever. But let me just tell you this much. Is Satan involved? Yes! We've seen the evil of Satan. 
But who's ultimately in control? God. And even if it looks like Satan's won, he hasn't. He hasn't. And you need to keep that in mind. Because some of you are dealing with family issues. Some of you are dealing with certain situations where you think, well, Satan won this one. No, he might have won a skirmish. But God says, it's okay. I can use the loss in the skirmish to turn into something greater. That's why Jesus said to Peter, I prayed for you and my prayer wasn't that you'd pass the test. My prayer was when you fail the test, when Satan wins in your life in this instance, when you deny you even know me, my prayer is that you don't quit because I'm going to use that and I'm going to use you to strengthen the brothers. Let's go back now and finish chapter two. We'll deal when we come back in two weeks with the, when we get to chapter three, how Paul sent Timothy back to go check on them. But look at verse 19. Let's spend the rest of our time tonight dealing with verse 19 and 20. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul calls the believers in Thessalonica their hope, their joy, their crown of boasting, and their glory. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by calling the believers in Thessalonica that he says, you guys in Thessalonica, you're our hope, you're our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming. I think the key is before the Lord at his coming. Paul saw them as a part of his reward and Silas's and Timothy's reward when Jesus comes. You do realize that you don't do anything to get saved. It's a gift of God. You just receive it by faith, correct? I hope you all understand that. Because if any of you are thinking you're getting to heaven because you've done this and you've done that, your faith's in what you've done and you're not going to heaven. So we'll be, hopefully understand that. But the Bible's very clear that after we're saved, we are to store up treasure in heaven. We're actually to live in obedience to God's plan for each of our lives, to do what he's wanting us to do, to be used of him and his spirit, by his spirit, to accomplish the purposes that he's created each of us for. Remember, you've been saved by grace through faith, which is the gift of God, not of yourself, not of works, so no one can boast. Listen to verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. He didn't just save you. He also planned how he was going to use you in his kingdom here on the earth so that later on when you, you do the things he prepared in advance for you to do, you'll be rewarded. When Paul sat in prison in Philippians chapter 1, go, go with me to that real quick. Go to Philippians 1. Look at verses 3 through 11. It, it kind of ties together everything we've been looking at. He didn't know how much Satan was going to be allowed to do in his life in this instance, but he knew ultimately God was in control. So look at Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. He's sitting in prison, and he says this. Actually, let's, let's jump to verse 19, then we'll come back to verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, is to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor, more reward for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on your account. Now convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you, for, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's praying and he's wrestling with it and he says, I want to go be with Christ and I don't know how how much Satan's going to be allowed to do in my life, whether or not I'm, he's going to be allowed to kill me or whether or not I'm going to live. If he kills me, that's not a problem with me because that's actually probably my first vote. But I'm torn because if I stay in the body, God will actually do more through me. And when I get to heaven, finally, there'll be a greater reward, more treasure in heaven. Go to Philippians 1, look at verse 3 and following. 
He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul says, I love you and, and, and I see you guys. Well, jump over to chapter four. Look at verse one. This is how he sees them. Philippians 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for in my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. So he loved them, but he also saw them as his joy, his crown. And he also said, I want you guys to be storing up treasure for, for when you see Jesus. Over and over, Paul said, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on to the reward. The reward. I'm going to ask you. Are you just wanting to get to heaven or are you wanting to be used by God in the areas that he's prepared in advance for you to do so that you can be rewarded on that day? And that's why Paul says, you know what, even though we were beaten, even though we were chased out of town, even though we were shipwrecked, even though we went through all this stuff, through all these different reasons for different people. When I think back about you, I love you because you're brothers and sisters in Christ and your partnership in the gospel. But I also see you in two ways. You're our hope. Our glory, our boasting, and our joy. Why? That's evidence that I'm actually going to be rewarded. And Satan didn't win in your life. Do you ever think about that? The fact that they stuck. Remember he was writing, sending Timothy back to find out if they had made it? He wasn't there very long. And the fact that through the persecution, they still think well of Paul and they had the false accusations and all the attacks and everything. But their faith was strong. Paul said, praise God, Satan didn't win. He didn't win. Oh, he won a skirmish here or there and he hindered us from coming to you. But he didn't win. He didn't win. One day, Jesus will be glorified and honored with and by all those he has saved. I'm going to ask you a question. Now listen closely to what I'm about to say, because this is where Satan wants to come in and start to mess with you. Don't let him. But I'm going to ask you, is your life down here bringing him glory now? Remember, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. Well, how do we work in a manner worthy of the calling we have received? Well, last, last time we were together, last week, we looked at the fact of holiness and purity and these types of things. But there's another level. God has placed each of us in the body of Christ, the church, as he has decided. And he has given each of us gifts that he wants to use through us for our benefit and his glory. He wants us to be rewarded down the road when he sees us face to face and we see him face to face. And he wants also to receive glory for himself through the fact that he was allowed to do that stuff through us. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 said that we who have been saved no longer live for ourselves. But we live for the one who died for us and rose from the dead. Now, I'm going to ask you an honest question. Is not the world's motto in this life to live for self? Have you ever noticed the commercials? Have it your way. You deserve a break today. I could go on. Obey your thirst. Live for yourself. And even though we're saved, doesn't our flesh want us to live for self? Yes. And daily we have to learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. But when we do, which is unnatural but supernatural, who gets glory? He does. But on top of that, he also will be glorified by the myriads of those who have come to faith and will be a part of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you being used in that? Now, Jim, I'm not a preacher. Jim, that's not fair. 
You're going to get more reward because you're on radio and you're on YouTube and you do Bible studies and you travel all around. And how can you compare yourself with us? See, that's where Satan's going to mess with you. I didn't ask you to compare yourself with anybody. And I didn't ask you if you were a preacher or a teacher or if you were telling people about Jesus. I just asked you, are you being used by God in the way he's gifted you so that others can come to know him? Go to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to hit this real fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll start in verse 4. It says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, you see the capital S. And there are varieties of service, different types of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, our gifts have been given to us, not for us, but to be shared for the rest of the church. And by the way, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking just your local church. I'm talking big C church, God's plan in the world. All right. For to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, to another by the same Spirit, uh, the fa by, uh, another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues, and those are languages, by the way. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then he goes on and he says, and because of time we won't have time to spend there, but he says, but as in your body has different parts and different roles, so it is with Christ. If you say, well, I'm, I'm a foot, I'm not an eye, or I'm a hand and I'm not this, don't feel like you're unnecessary. Every part's necessary. Try cutting off a part. Has anybody ever lost a fingernail? That figure's pretty much useless now, isn't it? Until it grows back. I had a friend of mine in high school who was mowing the lawn barefoot, and cut off both big toes. Couldn't walk. He literally, you lose your big toes, you can't walk. You think it's a little thing, but it's not. We need all of the different parts. Well, Jim, I I'm with you there. I understand the body has all different parts and they all don't have the same function. But you just listed um, manifestation of the spirit, uh, wisdom and utterance of knowledge and faith and gifts of healing and working of miracles and prophecy and distinguishing between spirits and knowing who's talking and different languages. Those are all out of my league. Well, we're not done. Go to First Peter 4. First Peter 4. Look at verses 7 through 11. First Peter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So now he adds another one, not just speaking, but also serving. There's different types of ways that you can serve. Let me give you a couple examples. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we all have many parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually parts one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. If it's service in your serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, that's an encourager in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, do it with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Actually, you start to see the list start to grow a little bit now. It's not utterance of wisdom and knowledge and tongues and all this stuff. It's now brass tacks. 
Do you all realize that in order for the gospel to go out, it costs money? And some of you have been gifted to be able to support those who do that. If that's your gift, and by the way, you'll know it's your gift because when you do it, it's easy, it's fun, and you like it, and you want to do it more. That's how I feel about preaching, by the way. If I could preach every single day, and by the way, on an average, I preach seven times a week right now, not counting my radio program, which is six days a week. But if I do more, I would, because it's fun. When I first started doing these Bible cruises, a lady came up to me after coming back from a David Jeremiah cruise, and she came to one of our Bible studies, and she said, uh, you know, I just came back from David Jeremiah Cruz and we were all listening to him teach on the ship. And I thought, Jim, you, Jim could do this. So she came back and she said, would you be interested in teaching on a cruise ship? I'm like, let me pray about it. Yes. <laughs> and she said, but you wouldn't feel bad having to work while you're on the cruise? I'm like, you don't understand. That's not work. That would be a joy. And we got our eighth one coming up next year. Can't wait. Why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How are we going to find out what my gift is? Don't take a spiritual gift test. You don't find out what your spiritual gift is by taking a spiritual gift test. You know how you find out what your gifts are? Just get plugged in. Get active in your local church. Get involved in some ministries around. And you'll find out what lights your fire. And by the way, don't compare how much you're doing with somebody else. Remember, use your gift in proportion to your faith. If your gift is preaching, preach in the amount, in the places, and to whom God has called you to do. Don't try to be the next big guy. Just be happy with who it is he's gifted you to teach and enjoy that. Remember, he gave one five in the parable of talents. He gave one five talents, another two, and another one, each according to their ability. Who predetermined their abilities? God. So don't sit around and try to figure out if you're five, two, or one. That's not for us to know. But he's shown us that so we won't compare how much we're doing. Because if you look at that story, the one who had the five, by God's grace, it turned into ten. And God said, well done. Man, you did awesome. Come on in. Get your reward. The one who had the two, God doubled it. And God says the same thing to that person. Well done. You did awesome. Come get your reward. So I'm just going to ask you a question. As you think back, are there ministries you're supporting? Are there things that God's doing? We talked about it at the beginning before we started recording about Romans 15, 25 through 27. And God may put it on your heart to support some ministries that are doing work in Israel so that they come to know Jesus. Guess what? When you do that, cha-ching, you're getting reward in heaven down the road. And one day, they'll be your glory, your joy. You may not fully know. But one day when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when he judges you according to what you did after salvation, not, he doesn't judge you whether or not you did anything to get into heaven, that's a gift. But after salvation, your rewards will be determined by what he's been allowed to do, and he's predetermined what he wants to do through you. So here's what I want to tell you to do. Don't fret over, what am I supposed to do? Am I doing enough? Whenever it starts, when it says, am I doing enough, you're already putting the focus on you and not on Jesus. Just walk with Jesus. Just love Jesus, focus on Jesus, and when he has things for you to do, it'll be clear. You'll know it. And just do it. Oh, it'll take a step of faith. It'll be like, can I really do that? Does he really ask me to do that? Does he really want me to go say that to this person? Does he really want me to go mow that person's lawn? Does he really want me to go do this? That whatever it is, you're going to have to take that step of faith. But when you do, you're going to see him do something through you. And you're going to go, that was fun. And you will enjoy being a Christian. And by the way, don't let the pastor or the church tell you what you're supposed to be doing. How often have we heard, we're having a church work day, everybody needs to be here, and you feel guilty. Have you ever heard, anybody that has kids has to serve their turn in the nursery? It sounds a little more of the flesh than the spirit, doesn't it? 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You ever heard that one? Guess what? 20% of the people doing 80% of the work is closer to God's design than everybody pulling an equal weight, because the Bible doesn't teach everybody pulls an equal weight. You use your gifts in proportion to your faith, each in a measurance with what you've been assigned. Some are five, some are two, some are one. Stop worrying about how much you're doing. But are you involved in what he's doing? Are you just coming to church and just sitting as a spectator? Or when you come to church, are you looking for how you could bless somebody? What's the way that you can be used for the common good? And again, think outside your local church. There are ministries like the Seafarers Ministry in the port, reaching the guys that, and ladies that work on the cruise ships. If you've never been up there, you might want to go up there and just try to work for a day and find this is it. 
I want to do that. It's a blast. There's lots of different things. I, I have a friend of mine that actually works doing Samaritan's Purse. Whenever the, he's on a call list, whenever there's a tornado or something, he gets excited. He gets to bring his chainsaw. He's, he loves working his chainsaw. Others think, listen, a lot of people that need to be fed. I want to go cook. Just stop living for self. But Jim, I've saved all my money to, to retire and to get to this comfortable place. Well, be careful. God didn't leave you here to get comfortable. There's nothing wrong with taking a trip. There's nothing wrong with cruising. There's nothing wrong with going sightseeing, looking at the trees. Enjoy the creation that God's given you. But don't just live for self. Oh, and don't be surprised that if God blesses you with a trip, he might also have a couple other things he wants to do through you on that trip. Just walk with Jesus. Stop trying to go do stuff and walk with him. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll close with this tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 10. Allison, this passage is for you. With what you said tonight out there. Paul says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, by the way, he's talking our bodies. Some of you have pup tents. Some of us have bigger tents. The tent is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That word evil could also be translated worthless. You know there's a day of reckoning coming for each of us, where we're going to be rewarded for all that he's been allowed to do through us. And I want to encourage you, be living for that. Are we living in a crazy time that's about to get crazier? Yep. Are we a day closer to the return of Jesus? Yep. Do we know when it's going to happen? Nope. Is it tempting to get caught up in all that? Yep. And he just says, don't worry about tomorrow. Remember, he said that a while back, didn't he? I think it still applies. But what if this happens, Jim? And, and what if we get in a war? And, and what if gas prices go up? And what if all of a sudden, because of the oil, uh, all, we can't buy anything on Amazon and it'll be here tomorrow? And, and <laughs> Take a deep breath. Satan may be allowed to do some hindering, but ultimately God's going to win and he's going to reward those who have trusted him in the midst of it. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.